Hello, it's Paul Scott here, Small Caps commentator and investor and writer of the Small Cap Valley Reports with Graham Neary. And, and we also had help from Roland this week, Roland Head. Thanks for stepping in, Roland, when Graham was feeling under the weather. Much appreciated. So I'm recording this on Saturday 7th of September, uh, sorry, Saturday 7th of October 2023. I'm still on the beautiful island of Gozo off the coast of Malta. I've been here two weeks now. It's not a holiday, though. Um, I've, it, it's been so busy um, with the Stockopedia work and the markets generally. I haven't really done anything. I've just been <laughs> just been indoors trying to keep cool. You can probably hear a fan whirring in the background. It's about 25 to 27 degrees C here, which is too hot, really, to go um, hiking, which is what I wanted to do. But never mind. It doesn't matter. It's just nice to have a change of scene. And it definitely helped my chest clear up after the COVID being in a warm temperature. So it's all good. But I'm not sitting on a sun lounger or sitting by a pool, as some people seem to think. I can't think of anything more boring, can you? <laughs> I'd much rather, be, much rather be on Tinternet researching shares. That's what I enjoy doing. Anyway, um, hope the sound quality is all right. Right, what have we got? I'll just launch straight into the companies. And then if there's time at the end, I'll do some uh, more general macro comments. Although, obviously, it's been another another really grim week for small caps in particular. AIM is now down 16% year to date, so really tough with small companies. Um, Loads of bargains though. So um, anyway, right, let's get into the companies. Monday the 2nd of October 2023, we covered five companies in the small cap value reports on Stockopedia. Now I've adopted the colour coding that one of the readers suggested, which I thought was a great idea. He said, Paul, why don't you flag up profit warnings on your spreadsheet as just black? So... um, uh, to, to just highlight them, which and that was the, the only colour we could find really that stood out versus all the other c- colours for the visually impaired people, which apparently is about 8% of, of men uh, have colour blindness, as they call it, apparently. I had no idea it was that high, as I mentioned last week. So I've adopted that anyway. And I'm, I've also come up with another idea that I'm going to uh, do them left to right from good to bad so that people who are colour blind will be able to... Um, at least uh, see what order they're in and know that it's basically good on the left going worse and worse to the right. So I'll implement those. Hopefully that will make my spreadsheet and colour-coded system much, much easier for people who are colour-challenged. So right, the first profit warning on Monday, the 2nd of October, was through Vision, T-H-R-U. Now this is a really interesting little um, speculative small cap that makes body scanners that people can walk through at a normal pace. Sounds very promising. It's had orders with the US Customs... Uh, and it's in use in warehouses so that the staff can just walk straight through it and somebody looking at the screen, a bit like in airports, you know, can see if they've stuffed any jewellery or anything down their underpants. And, um, and uh, well, anyway, unfortunately, such a pity because it's a nice company. They put out a profit warning, so I've coded that black. Now, it only dropped 12% on the day to 25.6p, but I see it's carried on falling now, this was caused by a large order that Through Vision was expecting from US Customs, uh, which already uses its products and apparently likes them. But anyway, it, they say, due to budget constraints, the US Customs order, the large order that was anticipated, hasn't come through. 
uh, this is always a problem, isn't it, with small companies, with large orders. You know, um, you get that single client, single customer risk, and unfortunately it's backfired with through Vision. So very sorry about that. The shares didn't fall as much as I was expected. Anyway, the forecasts have been absolutely slashed, so it's right back to square one, really, with heavy losses again this year. Um, so I've just said I'm amber red on this because it's too expensive now that the you know the bull case really has gone for at least probably another for the rent for the next year and they're just hoping that they'll get a chunk of the US budget next September well that's too long for me to wait for a speculative share so I've said said here it's a pity but um, um, I've, I've gone off through vision now next uh, Accesso now I only mentioned this one ACSO the online ticketing and theme park business I only mentioned this because I misread a statement about buybacks. I thought it was buying back a large chunk of its shares, but it turns out I misread it. It's only buying a bit less than 2% of its shares back. Uh, the shares rose 6% to £6.59, so the market liked that. Um, I'm not keen on Excesso. I think it's a stale story now. They've made lots of, lots of acquisitions that I don't see have added much value, and it's just blown most of its cash pile on more recent acquisitions. And, you know, often that's the case that the, 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 that the um, existing business doesn't have a lot of growth potential. So I'm, not, I'm really not interested in Excesso, hence the amber-red um, um, opinion. Now, probably the biggest upset of the week comes next is a profit warning from XPP Power. Now, I've got in my head that this has always been a pretty, you know, a good... Uh, profitable cash generative healthy dividend paying business um, I don't really understand what the products are but it was a mid cap in a way um, sort of five six hundred seven hundred million market cap general very generous dividends anyway the bottom has really fallen on out of it um, it plunged on the day down 46% to £12.86 per share so it almost halved in value from just over 500 million to 250 million, but it carried on falling. So it ended the week at only £7.76, I think. Now, a profit warning on its own is bad, but, you know, survivable. The problem here with XPP is that it, it's not only a nasty profit warning, but worse is it announced potential breach of its bank covenants, which raises the question of solvency or dilution risk. Now, the overgeared balance sheet, we have flagged multiple times before. I don't want to sound like a smart aleck, but I think it's so important. This is the biggest single point I want everyone to take on board from this week's podcast, which we've mentioned loads of times before anyway, but it's really important. Gearing, balance sheets, that's where your danger is. You know, we saw, say, I'll come on to this later, but we saw Aspirant this week put out a nasty profit warning, but the shares dropped about 30%, and then they held firm because there's no solvency issues. It's got plenty of net cash, strong balance sheet, um, so, you know, it can take a profit warning in its side, it can trade through and come out the other side once orders recover. But your big problem is if you've got, you've got these highly indebted groups like XPP, if they put a foot wrong in terms of trading you're then into a whole world of potential problems. And it's really then just a lottery, whether the existing shareholders will stump up more cash, 
how accommodative or not the bank will be. You know, you just don't know. So these are huge risks lurking. Often, often it's fine. It works out all right. The banks give a covenant waiver. It can trade its way out. It could all be fine. So for some people, you know, brave people diving in and trying to bottom fish on XBB, you could do well. So I do want to emphasise, we just don't know what's going to happen. But for me, it's the risk. I just don't want to take on risk where there's, you know, serious solvency or dilution risks because often the bank will say well fine we'll give you covenant waivers but we want you to raise some fresh equity to reduce our risk and that happens you know a fair bit so yeah really really disappointing with xpp and i've looked back on our last four or five comments on it actually and roland and graham covered it from august 2022 onwards and they've said in all their comments they flagged the high level of balance sheet risk and the high debt but to be fair um, they did give it the benefit of the doubt and said, look, it's, it's a good quality business, blah, blah, blah. But unfortunately, obviously, we couldn't foresee the profit warning. So profit warnings combined with highly geared balance sheets are a disaster. And you can avoid them if you just don't invest in highly geared businesses. So have a look at everything in your portfolio. And if you've got stuff in there that's highly geared, just be aware that that, that carries a lot of risk at the moment. Because profit warnings are coming out of the woodwork all over the place, aren't they? Sometimes without without apparent warning. Uh, Although I do also think, I think Mark Simpson made this point. If you go back, he's saying, go back, every company you've got, go back and look at the last two or three outlook statements. And you often find that there's the seeds of doubt in them. Um, You know, they'll gloss over something negative, but there'll be something just, and and compare them and see if the tone or the wording has changed. And I think that's great, uh, a great point from Mark, who's very astute. I don't always agree with everything he says, but it would be a bit weird if we did. But he makes, he does make very good points. Uh, now, on to Beek's Financial Cloud, BKS. I hold this personally. Now, this came, went up 3%. This is the uh, Financial Cloud business focused on um, uh, uh, stock exchanges, uh, markets exchanges. that puts its servers deep in the basement of, of the actual exchanges themselves and then sells connectivity to that, you know, almost zero latency server. Uh, very niche. But it's building the embedded value, I think, in this business. It's been going 10 or 12 years now is enormous because, you know, you can't just recreate this overnight because financial institutions won't sign up unless it's bulletproof, it's proven. And so I think there's a tremendous amount of intangible asset value in Beaks. I got a bit cross with them at the last update where they tried to gloss over uh, a 10% revenue miss on the June 2023 results. Whoever advised them, I think, advised them really badly. They should have just been straight out with it. Now, if you watch the Investor Meet Company webinar with Beaks, uh, that's just happened actually Thursday or Friday this week, it's fantastic. And uh, Gordon MacArthur, the owner manager, is very upfront saying, you know, we we weren't happy with the June results. We we you know a big contract with Johannesburg Stock Exchange slipped past the year end date, but it's since been signed. You know, and the outlook now is great, and the, and the forecasts are really bullish for the current year, and they've got um, almost complete visibility, ninety percent visibility on the current year from recurring revenues. So the picture is very much better, I think, than was obvious from the RNS. So I've actually started buying those back. I've always had a continuous position in it, but back in in the summer, at some point, I, I kind of wobbled a bit on it. wasn't sure, so I I. I 
cut the position from a medium one to a small one. Well, I'm now increasing it back up from small to medium because I think the fundamentals have improved and the price is cheaper. Now, on Friday, I couldn't buy any more. There wasn't any out there. You had to, they were asking, they were saying 95 bid and 100 offer. So I put in, you know, I tried to buy at 99, nothing doing. Um, so it looks like the overhang might have been cleared on beaks. So do have another look at that one and make up your own mind. I get the bearish views on it. The bearish views are that it doesn't actually make any money, that it's uh, cash hungry, and those are perfectly valid points. But what they're missing is that there's 30-odd percent organic growth happening each year, which is transformative if you look to the future. And certainly if you listen to what Gordon MacArthur is saying in the, in the webinar, he's flagging up that the operational gearing is now kicking in. They've done all the, uh, they've created the systems they need. It's now a, a, just a question of ramming more business through them. And they're on the cusp, he says, of some, of some potentially quite major orders, which take a long gestation time. So I think Beaks is looking very interesting again, 61 million, not without risk, and I get the points about the, the, the accounts. If you look at the historic numbers, you won't get it. But look at the outlook and the forecasts, and you will get it. Finally, Graham looked on Monday at Peel Hunt, uh, ticker P-E-E-L, of course, the well-known uh, investment bank, who, which shares have really flopped since its IPO because of market conditions. You know, It's only 85p now, 104 million market cap. It's more of a research house, really. I looked at the numbers and I was surprised at how much money they actually make from their fantastic quality research. And you, know, you can understand why they don't want to give it away. The only problem is, of course, they're getting privileged access to management, um, which does raise uh, big questions, I think, about whether it's right to charge for research that essentially, you know, is where you've got a hot wire to, to, to the CFO. So I think that's pretty questionable, actually. But anyway, um, H1 trading update was in line. Uh, only break-even, Graham says, likely for 2023. But we think, both he and I agree, that with a strong balance sheet and the upside comes from a future cyclical recovery, because markets will recover. We just don't know when. So, yeah, we like Peel Hunt. And actually, a lot of the brokers and um, uh, investment, small investment banks could, could be very nice cyclical upturn things, but we don't know when the upturn will happen, of course. Particularly good reader comments on Monday as well. Uh, Shah W. flags uh, Stockopedia's Profit Warning Guide, which is a couple of years old now, but very, very relevant. So have a look at that again. And uh, MSI, another one I hold, MS International, um, there's a lot of discussion about that because they're winning fantastic contracts for their um, military division, and I think it looks really, really cheap. I've actually bought a few more MSI this week. I think that one's quite exciting. So uh, you've probably you've probably heard me go on about that a lot in the past. Loads of other companies discussed. We had 63 comments on Monday. Very, very good quality. Obviously, the, uh, the, the, the small cap value reports are the sort of conversation starters, and we do some nice analysis, I think, in there as well. And then the readers... Um, the small cap value reports act as a sort of vortex for discussion. It sucks everything in, which, you know, I think is great. I like sort of sitting in the middle of it um, uh, and um, having all these interesting discussions going on around us. And also this new widget on the Stockopedia homepage is brilliant. I don't know if you've seen it, but it shows the top, I think, eight or ten most uh, uh, visited stock reports. So in other words, which companies um, the subscribers have most looked at 
and it's for the day and for the week, and it shows the percentage share price movement. So I think that's a really, really interesting thing to look at each day. And nearly all of them in the list are things we're discussing in the small cap value reports. So it just shows, doesn't it? Um, because, of course, those are the biggest movers, aren't they? And the companies that are putting out news that people want to have a look at. So if you haven't seen it, do have a look at that widget on the Stockopedia homepage. It's really useful, I think, for flagging up, quickly flagging up interesting companies that you might not have spotted. Ah, yes, it is now. Right, on to Tuesday, the 3rd of October, 2023. I couldn't resist having a quick look at Greg's, GRG, obviously the pasties and sandwiches, fast food and donuts company. Uh, beautiful business, two and a half billion market cap, well above our thing, but I think it's interesting, so I had a look at it. QT trading update, fantastic, like for likes here. Uh, like for like sales are obviously sales stripping out the impact of any new store openings and any store closures and some companies strip out refurbs as well but some don't so there's no standardised definition on like for likes but anyway it shows you the the underlying uh, performance of the existing estate of stores and anyway Q3 uh, Greg's achieved plus 14.2% like for likes that's fantastic that's one of the I don't, I can't recall seeing anyone getting that high with their like for likes. Um, but what's interesting is that it was factored into the forecasts. Uh, um, strong trading continues in Q3. Oh, this was interesting. Inflation beginning to ease. And um, we've seen other f- data on food that actually food inflation is, is definitely starting to ease now, which is good. Uh, uh, but it does warn that the Q4 comps from last year are very strong. Now, all the readers, well, some of the readers are saying, oh, it's such a great business. Every time I go in Greg's, it's really, really mobbed out. It's busy all day long. But they've got to be because they're selling cheap uh, cheap food and you need to ram through the volume, don't you? So I, just looking at a shop and saying, oh, it's busy, it's got to be busy because of the, the, the way it's stacked up. So I wouldn't get too carried away with, oh, a shop's busy. It must be trading brilliantly that is you can get that wrong particularly where a shop looks empty but it's selling high value items on high margins it probably only needs a handful of sales a day so but but, um, you know I, i i get the idea that yes when you see that the shop is consistently busy when it wasn't previously then that is a can be a good sign but anyway um i've said here are the greg shares attractive no not really but the reason being is all this is priced in it's 20.9 times p only a 2.4% yield. I'm just saying here, I, I, I just wouldn't want to chase it any higher. Great business, yes, fully priced. So uh, if you think it's going to smash the forecast, of course, then I can see why you'd like Greg's. But if you just think it's going to be in line, which is what it's saying it will be for the full year, then that's less exciting, And as I say, unless it pulls something out of the hat. Now, Pendragon. Oh, dear, this, what a marvellous one this has been. Very much like my granddad's fishing trips of old in the 1970s. You know, this was the big one that got away, which was why he never came home with any decent-sized fish. There was always a huge one that got away. Anyway, that's how I see Pendragon, because we were on this at 16p a share. I bought some myself, didn't think it was going anywhere, and sold them at 18p. Of course, it's doubled in the last few weeks. Never mind. Lithia, the American bidder for it, has improved the deal to 35p. Um, now, it looks well, it's very clear from the increase of the, the deal size that management agreed to an original deal that seriously uh, underpriced um, Pendragon's core business. So management have really got egg on their face with this, I think. And um, anyway, uh, a, a, a very significantly upped offer from... 
um, from Lithia, so well done to Pendragon shareholders who held on. It's always tempting to bank the profit, isn't it? Or quite often what I do with, with bids, you know, is sell half in the market and then you run the rest and see what happens. But each situation is different. Uh, but Pendragon's certainly been very exciting. Now, oh, MS International, that's it. It's cropped up here, £7.80. I think it's dropped. It, 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 it's very illiquid, MS International, MSI. Uh, it's the company I just mentioned on Monday. Um, I flagged up here the three big contract wins, and I think it's very good. Now, the management I've said here are not given to hyperbole, but they said, um, quote, we perceive that we are achieving a significant upward step change in the further development of the company that will again bring additional rewards and success for the business. Uh, this contract win is further confirmation of that upward step change. Now, I would take what these guys at MSI say seriously because they're long-standing owner-managers and they're really doing something special with the military division in particular, winning these big orders with the US Navy. So I think it's cheap. And there are no broker forecasts on it. So it won't come up on your screens... Um, I think if there were realistic broker forecasts, that would look, uh, it would attract a lot more people. So I think we're just going to have to wait and see what the numbers are like. But as I say, I've topped up a, only a small amount because you can, it's quite illiquid. I've, I've added a few MS International to my personal holding and we'll keep our fingers crossed and see what happens. Uh, Card Factory. Um, uh, oh, all I was flagging up here was I covered the results for this last week, CARD. I've got a position in this myself. Uh, everybody loves it. Everyone thinks it's cheap and it, the shares go nowhere. The reason is because major shareholders are selling, as we know. Tele-IOS has reduced down to 11.7% of the company I flagged here. And also a former creative director, Stuart Middleton, has reduced from 3.8% to 2.6%. So obviously these, these major sellers are unhelpful. But, you know, when, they've gone, when they're gone, I think the share probably re-rates by, I think, maybe up to 50%. That's what it's worth to me on fundamentals. So I can, I can understand everybody being really frustrated that Card Factory's sort of languishing it around. It's back down to about 94, 93p. Um, doesn't make any sense in my view that valuation I think it's worth more so I'm happy to just wait and, and and wait for it to go up I couldn't see anything wrong in the numbers the interims that came out I just couldn't see anything wrong um, Richard Crowe's obviously the expert on this it's his biggest position I agree with everything he said I think his research is spot on I've formed my own opinions on that uh, I think we'll still be um, we'll still be going on about this being being cheap um, <laughs> forevermore it seems. But there we go. It, it should on fundamentals re-rate at some point when those major shareholders are done with their selling. I think, unless we've missed something, we might have done. You never know. Now, what was this? Graham looked at Gooch and House Go, GHH. Uh, what do they do? Is it industrial lasers or something? Can't remember. Anyway, that was up 5% on a... On a oh, ahead of, ahead of expectations for the trading update. That's quite good. Graham says he's only tentative on giving it a, a green view. Uh, but uh, he'd like to see the operating margin increased. Now, Boohoo, <laughs> uh, uh, I fell in love with this share years ago, but I've been very much out of love with it now for well over a year because it just became obvious that the bull case wasn't working and it had nothing whatsoever to do with all the bearish comments that people made on this. They were barking up the wrong tree completely. Um, the reason Boohoo shares have lost 90% of their value is because a Chinese competitor called Xi'an is eating their lunch with unfair direct-to-consumer sales, undercutting them on price, 
And that is the reason that its profits have disappeared. It's nothing to do with slave labour. It's nothing to do with ESG. All the accounting uh, queries in the, the Bear uh, dossier that was issued a couple of years ago were, were completely wrong. It's purely down to competitive pressures. Uh, that's it. So anyway, the interim results, I just wasn't impressed with them, I'm afraid. Uh, Lackluster, Atron results from Boohoo. Oh, positive EBITDA, but, you know, the, 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 the EBITDA numbers aren't real. You take off the full costs and it's actually making a small loss and cash flow is negative. Balance sheet and liquidity look fine. It's got a big cash bar, massive cash bar, but also a massive um, draw, fully drawn down bank facility. I'm still not clear who's provided the um, the loan facility. I don't think it's ever been specifically stated. People assume it was HSBC. I want, if anybody can find any proof on who has lent them that three hundred odd million pound um, uh, loan facility, I'd like to please do leave a comment I, on Stockopedia because I'd I'd like to know. Um, anyway, I discussed the pros and cons on Boohoo. I just think the sector is so tough now because of the Chinese direct to consumer competition which could impact plenty of other companies so you've got to be really careful about this it's because they 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 fly in in individual parcels which is terrible for the environment of course and as long as they're under 120 pounds i think um they don't attract any import duty so of course they're 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 using slave labor in china doing everything absolutely dirt cheap and then they're using this this exemption um to the import duty to deliver product direct to consumer I think you need to be very very careful because it's it's really killing the margins of uh, of um, some of these companies although Boohoo still actually achieved a pretty good gross margin so and it does have the big advantage of immediate delivery of course next day delivery whereas Shein you have to wait a week to 10 days for the product to arrive and the quality of Shein is pretty poor uh, so who knows? I think Boohoo certainly survives, and quite a few competitors have gone under, like Misguided, which at one point was a big several hundred million revenue business. Uh, um, what was it called? I saw it first was was a, one of one of the uh, Kamani family. Uh, uh, Jalal span off and created that. That didn't work, so he sold it to Mike. Mike Ashley seems to be hoovering up the ones that go wrong, and he seems to be maybe thinking about doing some sort of tie-up with Shein. So the whole sector's in, in flux, I think, fast fashion, and um, I don't I don't know where it's going to go. I think it's just all up up in the air, and uh, I, I suspect Boohoo might be bought back by the founding family. Because, and Fraser's have just increased their holding again. I think they're up to about 14% of Boohoo, which I, I'm, I'm quite sure the Kamanis will not like one bit. <laughs> so it wouldn't surprise me for them to launch a bid to take Boohoo private, but why would they be generous? I don't think they would be. Um, but I certainly would rather be in Boohoo than ASOS, that's for sure. Graham looked at a specialist lending thing called S&U. Ticket is SUS. Uh, 276 million market cap. Now, Graham always likes this one, and I think he explains well why it's an interesting business. But all finance companies are cheap at the moment. And Graham makes a really good point that actually he, he would prefer to have a much simpler specialist lending model like this. Uh, SNU does um, motor finance and property bridging loans. And it's very well run, owner-managed. We think that is quite a good one. And we'd rather invest in something like that than some complicated, sprawling bank with opaque accounts. Next, I looked at 
uh, trading update from PCI PAL. PCIP is the ticker. Now, if you remember, they uh, they seem to have won their patent case, but it could still be appealed, which uh, gave a nice fillip to the shares recently. But it put out a trading update here on Tuesday, 3rd of October. Oh, I should say what they do. They provide this niche software for call centres where credit card details can be given... Um, privately without the call centre operative hearing anything. So it's software that kicks in, records the credit card details, and then switches off back to the operators. Very niche, but uh, good, strong organic growth from PCRPAL. Now, they slipped out a forecast downgrade with, without make, make, making it at all clear in a positive-sounding RNS. I hate that. Stop doing it. Quite a lot of companies are doing this. They're getting their announcements over PR'd, and a lot of us, not just me, a lot of friends messaged me and said, yes, Paul, I agree with you. It was a deceptive RNS, where people who hold the shares and know the company very well said, oh, well, you should have been able to work it out from the growth rate dropping. Well, so it wasn't deceptive. They spelt out that the growth rate was going to be slower. Well, no, they didn't. They just gave a revised figure of growth rate, but they didn't say it was revised. So it was deceptive. Um, now, even though I tore a shred off them about a strip off them about uh, the way they presented this uh, small forecast downgrade, I actually still think that the um, positives outweigh the negatives. It dropped thirteen percent to forty eight p. I think um, PCI Pal's coming back into potentially interesting buying range. Maybe not in a bear market, but certainly something for my watch list anyway. Right, on to Wednesday. This was the 4th of October. Fascinating situation to start off with. Super dry. S-D-R-Y. Of course, the struggling mid-market fashion brand that's really fighting for its life. Well, anyway, shares went up 27% to 55p. Nearly £100 million in issue, so that's £54 million. Now, uh, it's done another IP sale. Uh, this time, I think it was in India, um, do you remember they raised £34 million, which is highly material, actually, to its finances, from selling its brand name, basically, in the Far East? Well, it's done the same in India now, and it's netted £28 million. Now, that, to me, says there's clearly value in this brand internationally, whereas most of the readers on Stockopedia comment that the brand's, you know, uh, had its day in the UK. I tend to agree with them. But clearly, it's got value internationally. Uh, I've said here, I think this deal buys it time to see if they can turn around the loss-making core business. So I've moved my uh, traffic light view of the company, just my personal opinion. It's not predictive in any way. It's just based on facts, figures and forecasts on that day. Uh, and things change from that day onwards, obviously. But anyway, I've gone from red to amber red to recognise that this is a significant cash injection. Now, one of my friends who's a, a more experienced and more relevant than me, a uh, former retail CFO, he said that he reckons the cash burn at Superdry could be prodigious. Why? Well, it's because of the lease entries. If they've got a yawning deficit on their lease entries... Um, which which masks the fact that they're having to pay uneconomic rents. Uh, in cash flow terms, he reckons the cash flow is going to be absolutely dire at super dry. So we'll see. But anyway, you know, I'm 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 definitely you know I'd be surprised if super dry survives beyond 2024. Uh, but I think it's in with a chance. But it's certainly not something I would bet on. Really, almost at any price, uh, as things stand at the moment. Next, what was this? A quick comment from me on Alpha Financial Software Holdings. 
Uh, all it was to say here was that uh, early stage bid talks are now off. I've said here that I don't think the shares look very interesting um, based on um, quite a high valuation, not particularly good growth. But one of the readers came up with a counter opinion on that in the reader comments, which was very interesting. He's more upbeat on it. So thank you very much for that. We want to hear a whole range of opinions. We're not trying to force our views on you. Quite the opposite. We want to see, uh, we love hearing a whole range of opinions. So that's fantastic. That's what we, what we want. Now, here we are. Belloscura. B-E-L-L. This is an Adam Reynolds thing that um, it's a Jam Tomorrow company that says it's got some amazing oxygen, um, oh, what do they call it, concentrator machinery that they've achieved uh, gigantic contracts for in China. I don't know. Let's 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 see the money. I want to see the money come in before I get excited about this. Now, anyway, it's done a fundraise here which includes the acquisition of a listed cash shell with 4.7 million in it. Now, it's, a sh- it's an all-share deal, so Belliscura issues new paper, buys the cash shell with that paper in order to pocket its cash pile of 4.7 million. All very well, so it's a backdoor fundraise, basically. And this reminds me of the 2001 to 2003 bear market. So I, I, I waffled on about that, where a similar thing happened. There were lots of cash shells or businesses with rubbish business models that had pots of cash, and they were often taken over by companies that, that were already listed that needed the cash. And it usually didn't end well. And one of the reasons it doesn't end well is because uh, a lot of the shareholders in the cash shell may not like the company that's acquired them. So they're given all these shares in Belascura, they may not want them. So you create, the danger is you could create um, a significant selling overhang of people who just want to sell and even forward sell the shares before the deal's even gone through. So I think this will possibly be quite bad for Belascura's share price, but it's got wealthy backers. Nigel Ray's in there. He took, a, oh, there was a convertible loan as well, a small amount and a tiny placing as well. So I think put together... Uh, quite creative ways of fundraising, but I, I want to see some proof that this company can actually generate genuine cash flows before I get excited about it. So that's Belascura. For that reason, I've I've colour coded it amber red, so I'm sceptical at this stage, but we'll see. Uh, oh, so the profit warning on Spirant Communications. I mentioned that slightly earlier, SPT. This is, I've never understood what they do. It's something to do with... Um, mobile phone testing or something. I don't know. I just don't understand it. Uh, now, it dropped 32%, I'm afraid, to 89p. Oh, dear, we've got a typo there. There's a pound sign in the wrong place. Still 508 million market cap, so quite significant. A Q3 trading update. Um, it's a material profit warning. Uh, Q3 order intake fell well below expectations. So Roland looked at this one. He reckons earnings could halve this year. Uh, but, as I flagged earlier, Spirant does benefit from a nice balance sheet with plenty of cash. So I was looking at it last night, actually. And as I say, I don't understand it. Um, but I think the interims were really poor as well, actually. Um, I can't remember, so I was on about my third tin of Chisk at the time. Anyway, um, 
But, as I said, the interesting thing with Spiron, lurched down by a third on the profit warning, but it actually seems to have stabilised for the rest of the week because you don't have any covenant or solvency or dilution issues there. So it just shows, isn't it, we're going to get profit warnings in our portfolios. We're, you know, we're able to buy things cheap at the moment because a certain number of them, we don't know which companies, we don't know how many, are going to warn on profits. But, on, warn on profits. but that's why you can buy them cheap. As long as you're not buying stuff with a horribly geared balance sheet, then you should be all right. As long as you can accept that maybe at a guess, two out of ten of the companies you buy are going to warn on profits. But if you have, say, 20 shares, one of them crapping out on a profit warning will only make about a 3% impact on your portfolio, you know. It's quite surprising. I demonstrated that with my own uh, model portfolio of top 20 um, shares for the year, which actually actually is still doing all right. It's up 4% year-to-date, so it's outperformed AIM by 20%. But AIM is down 16% year-to-date. And um, I've had, out of the 20, I've had two that have really crapped out, which have dropped by more than half, which is Quiz and Watkin Jones. But it's, it's taken that, it's absorbed that and still been up for the year by 4% because quite a few of the, lots of the others have done, have done really well. So it just shows, you know, we shouldn't be so scared of profit warnings that we sit the market out in. Well, it's up to you. Some people are. But profit warnings, it's par for the course in small cabins. It happens. But as long as they're not dangerously geared companies, you shouldn't see your 90% plus fallers from profit warnings in fundamentally sound businesses with okay finances. Not something to be terrified about, in my view. It, it happens. It's par for the course. Next, Roland. Oh, this was the day that Graham was off sick. Uh, I think he's um, on the men now, so that's good. Tops Tiles, TPT. Roland looked at that. Inline Q4 trading update, not bad in the circumstances. A tile retailer, obviously Tops Tiles. I've always quite liked this one, actually. Um, A 7% dividend yield that uh, Roland flags up, so that might be worth a look at 50p. I'm holding fire on buying into building supplies and DIY supply shares. I've got loads on my watch list. Epwin, I, I um, heard an audio note on that. It's, that sounded quite good. I haven't looked at it myself. Uh, Euracel, I think, is a good recovery one. Um, Brickability, I'm previously held, but I'm sitting on the sidelines. I quite like the look of. I think there's a whole load of pretty decent quality building supplies companies that I do want to invest in at some point. Just doesn't feel that the time's right yet. But who knows? And then here, what do we have? Oh, here, I looked at Virtue Motors, VTU. Uh, this has actually done all right this year. Somebody criticised me earlier on the year and said, nothing ever happens to this stock. You told us it was cheap, blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, uh, it's done all right. It's been a, a safe in a storm actually in, over the last year or two at or near um, multi-year highs and of course there's so much takeover activity in the sector Virtue is the one that looks the cheapest nobody bloody bids for it I don't know why anyway I like the interim results so I'm green on that one still do bear in mind though that now that the vehicle finance stocking um, costs are increasing quite considerably uh, balance sheet's very very good at Virtue Motors Net debt has risen following the acquisition of Helston. Um, more acquisitions are planned, so the strategy of Virtue seems to be uh, gobble up 
smaller competitors before we get gobbled up. <laughs> uh, dividends are not brilliant, 3.5%, but it's doing a lot of buybacks as well. I think it's bought back 14% of its own shares in six or seven years. So if you put the divvies and the buybacks together, you can see the amounts on the cash flow statement. They're roughly similar. So I think that equates to a dividend yield of effectively about 7%, and it's funding its own acquisitions as well. So that's quite interesting, although partly through debt, mostly through debt. The outlook sounds fine as well. I think it's only a matter of time before Virtue Motors gets bid for, but I've been saying that for years. <laughs> and it's the only one that hasn't been bid for. Right, on to Thursday, the 5th of October, um, another motor retailer called Motorpoint, M-O-T-R. This is the one that has 20, I think, um, large out-of-town sites specialising. It's a car supermarket, basically, just selling nearly new uh, uh, cars at very modest fixed margins, no haggling, and making a bit of money on finance commission as well now it's h1 trading update um bit mixed i'm amber on this one because it said it, it had actually moved into losses but it said the trend improved from q1 to q2 this is another one where finance costs stand out as being higher than operating profit so it's not covering its own um finance costs with its operating profit so it's got a lot to do to improve profitability and margins i think <coughs> which is only marginal at present. Uh, I do see potential here. The shares have gone down a lot. It's only 78 million market cap now for a 1.4, I think, billion revenues business, but it doesn't make any money. But pre-COVID, it made 16, 17, thereabouts profit each year. So if they can get back to pre-COVID levels of profitability, you're going to have a nice trade here. Uh, it just feels a bit early to jump on this one. Now, the net cash, it's moved from net debt into net cash, so that's good through de-stocking, I think. Um, so I don't have solvency or dilution concerns. I think Motorpoint could be uh, a good one at some point in the future. Feels a bit early to get involved, so um, that's subjective, of course, could be wrong. Graham likes the online... Por- uh, sorry, what am I saying? Graham likes the pawnbrokers. Um, he's looked at Ramsden's holdings here, RFX... He's, he likes that. Interim results ahead of expectations. Slightly ahead, it says. Uh, uh, P of 8, dividend yield of 5.5%. So we like that one. What's the other one we like? The big the big pawnbrokers. Oh, do you know, its name escapes me, but it's very good. I think I'd go for the other one, the bigger one. Uh, the, the name will come back to me. Now, Graham mentioned Smooth, S-M-V. Uh, went up 18% on a recommended takeover bid. Now, 18% gain may not sound that much, but the company had previously announced that it was going to have... It was it was being sniffed at by a bidder. Uh, so the premium's nearly 70% higher than before the Australian comp group PEXA, uh, P-E-X-A, got involved. So Graham says it's a, a fair deal. So there we are. Uh, I quite liked Smooth, actually, but it was burning cash and, you know, looked... Uh, but it, it, it looks half decent so well done to holders there I think there was was actually some pretty good logic for holding that share so it wasn't just luck now I like this one I'm going to oh dear I haven't lined up the sound effect so ooh, it's a mystery share from Thursday's report um, it's reviewed by me and marked as green so that should be easy for you to find really nice results from a quality business and uh uh uh, I like everything about it. So a nice quality business. What's the next one? Oh, Metro Bank Holdings, MTRO. This is very topical, isn't it? Now, 
press a lot of lot of press speculation about this bank challenger bank uh, getting into real trouble now graham it dropped 26 percent to 37p really surprised me graham only mentioned it only reviewed it as amber so i put a footnote in saying i think it's red bright red really because the the and i've i've actually looked at the numbers and it's very interesting it's balance sheet like a lot of these a lot of banks you know have wafer thin equity people say oh they're much better funded now but I don't know. And, you know, the big banks, you've got giant figures and assets and liabilities for derivatives that you've no idea what's in there. So I think, I think, you know what, I think another banking crisis could easily erupt. And we've already seen what happens with banks. The moment questions are raised, articles start appearing in the press, you get a run of, you get a run of, of people taking their money out. Particularly, the Times did a good article about this on Friday, I think it was, just gone, saying, you know, the problem is the, the, the retail investors have this, the £85,000 insurance scheme for their deposits, but the corporates don't. So if you're a corporate and you've got hundreds of thousands or millions deposited with Metro Bank, you're going to be, you're going to be reading things in the papers and thinking, we need to get that money out pronto, aren't you? This is what brought down Silicon Valley Bank. People, you know, using their apps, apparently, were just... Were just taking their money out in huge um, uh, quantities very, very rapidly. And so these things fall over now in in literally one or two days once a run starts. That's my main worry on it. Now, apparently Metro Bank is trying to sell a three billion mortgage book. Well, to sell it quickly, it might have to take a haircut on that. Plus, of course, it then loses the earnings from that. Um, and I looked at its balance sheet and it's got... I think four and a half billion in gilts, and a footnote to the interim results said these are in at uh, cost, they're not in at market value. If they mark them to market, and it gave the figure, it would be something like, off the top of my head, oh god, what was it, three, four, five hundred million write off, something like that, which may have got worse because that was a few months ago, the interim results. So if it has to mark to market its bond holdings, you know, the, the, the sliver of, of equity, equity it's got would disappear. And the thing is, the, the authorities now know they've got to move fast. And hats off to them. They've done a great job with the uh, uh, banking meltdowns we've had, the three of them. I can't remember the name. I know Silicon Valley was one. What was the other big Swiss bank, wasn't it? Was it Credit Suisse that just collapsed and UBS bought it for a song and made a gigantic profit on it? You know, these banks, it's all about confidence depositor confidence the moment that breaks the dam just just goes and it and you know even even quite big banks as we can see can just just fall over and of course first in line standing next to the dam are the equity holders you're the people who get wiped out uh, in these type of situations usually um, and then behind them not that far quite often is the bondholders um, who are next in line, but it depends. You've really got to be an expert on these situations because it depends on the terms of the individual bonds. You know, that's where you need a, a Bloomberg terminal. I've got a friend who's a specialist distressed bond investor, and he does a lot of work on these, you know. And I think it's not the sort of thing for, for non experts to be punting on. So I would just say it's not worth taking the risk on Metro Bank. Your chances of getting a multi bagger with a solvent solution. It's one of a potential huge range of outcomes, isn't it? But I'd say it's pretty unlikely. I would just work on the basis that Metro Bank shares could easily turn out to be worthless in the next few days. We just don't know. So why risk it?
Right, let's quickly finish off then Friday. There was this recommended 74p cash offer for Tribal, um, a pretty uh, accident-prone software company, TRB, educational software. Basically, a large competitor's buying it, 41% premium. Very fair, I think. It's likely to go ahead because the institutions um, are backing it and they need the liquidity, I think. So I've always been negative on the fundamentals at Tribal because it kept screwing things up, basically. But actually, if you look at the last four times I've mentioned Tribal, I've said in every article, I think it could... Well, there's a lot of potential here for this being a takeover bid target. Uh, It's the type of thing that um, gets bid for. Software companies, even if they underperform, are often bid targets. So I'm pleased we did spot at least that side of it. And well done to shareholders. Not the best stock pick, if we're honest, but you got, you know, you got a 41% premium on a takeover bid for a fairly bad investment, really. A very poor long-term track record at Tribal. Anyway, I won't dwell on it. Right, uh, Friday, oh dear, another profit warning. Now, this one's a pity, because I think it's fundamentally a nice company. Cortex Technologies, QT. X dropped 21% to £1.57. That values it at only £74 million, a former sort of tech darling, really. Um, now, the chairman, who's a great guy, he's returned... Uh, sorry, the founder, he's returned as chairman, conducted a review and put out an update saying, look, a few things have gone wrong. Nothing calamitous, I don't think. Um, I won't go through all the detail. You can read it yourself. But the shares have dropped 21%. The only thing is, I think they're fixable problems. Um, but I've said here, valuation's still an issue, though. On the reduced broker forecast, it's still rated at 19 times, despite the fact that it hasn't delivered any earnings growth now in six or seven years. Earnings have actually dropped. So I, I, I went soft on it because I like management, so I put it as amber. I probably should have put it as amber red. But I think the reason I went for amber, though, because I think at this valuation, it could be a takeover target itself. Um, it's the type of thing that the private equity like. It is expanding internationally, seems to be doing particularly well in France. It's got it's struggling in its small US operations. But, you know, it's the sort of thing private equity might buy and say, look, let's just throw some money at this and really turbocharge the growth. And it could do well as a private company. Historically, Aquatix has been very cash generative. Unusually, it's paid a lot of dividends. I totted them up and it was, I think it was over 90p, which is more than half the current market cap in historic dividends so it's not one of these cash burning tech companies it's the opposite it reminds me a bit of uh, phonics um, mobile which is similar very high margin very low um, capital uh, just produces lots of cash and pays it out as dividends so cortex i still think uh, there's something quite good there it's having some problems at the moment though so actually i think i'll stick with amber yeah um <clears throat> next delarue Bit of a turnaround going on here, uh, which we flagged up in June, I think, saying things had stopped getting worse and were stabilising. It managed to... The big problem was the cash-hungry pension deficit and too much bank debt. But it managed to negotiate, um, re, you know, relieved terms on, on both, which was good. And it's trading, it says here, in H1 is slightly better than expected. Um, but the shares have rebounded quite a lot recently. So I've said here... Given that everything else has got so much cheaper, great quality companies are now so much cheaper, surely there are better risk-reward options. Why do I need to take the risk, all the risk with Delarue when I can buy a fantastic company with net cash on its balance sheet dirt cheap? And there's loads of those around. So I've shifted from amber to amber red with Delarue just because the rest of the market's got cheaper and Delarue, with all its problems, has got more expensive. So... Um, 
There we are. Just an opinion. You may have a different view. That's fine. Now, SRT Marine Systems. God almighty. SRT. The ultimate Jam Tomorrow company with its marine um, uh, location and transceivers and so on. Humongous um, order book. But it puts out a terrible H1 trading update. I mean, it's... I just... I've, I've lost patience with this company. I'm sorry. Um, the balance sheet looks really weak again, despite a fundraising of about 5.6 million quite recently. I've, as I say here, I've passed the point of giving management the benefit of the doubt. There's just zero visibility. They've got this 160 million contracted order book, apparently, but it's only produced 5.5 million revenues in H1. It's hopeless. You know, um, heavily loss-making in H1 as well. I No, I've, 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 I'm cutting the cord with this one. I just don't really believe anything the company says anymore sorry now xp power xpp that cancelled its dividend on friday which makes complete sense if you're cash strapped you don't pay dividends um, but that yeah as i say it dropped another 10 percent to seven pound 30 it'll be interesting to see what happens with that um but it's too risky for me at the moment could be a strong rebound i just don't know and Boohoo, yeah, phrases have increased to 13.4%. Now, I must mention J.D. Weatherspoon, JDW shares, put out its prelims. I read them on Friday afternoon. So many interesting points in there. I did actually jot a few down here. I didn't put them in the article. But like-for-likes are very strong. 12.7% um, <clears throat> for the year up and 9.9% in the most recent nine weeks. So that's very good. Business rates, he uh, he says in Scotland, has turned into a sales tax, and he provided, Tim Martin this is, showed how um, the Scottish assessors are, are rating the rateable values that they're basing on turnover. So it's actually, uh, Weatherspoons is paying double the rates compared with, per square foot compared with people in the same centres, which is clearly wrong. But anyway, there you go. He also says here that pubs pay 20% VAT on food sales, whereas supermarkets pay virtually nothing. And the supermarkets use that saving to subsidise alcoholic drinks. Well, that's what he says. We don't know that. Um, he also points out that pubs pay 20p a pint in business rates. Supermarkets pay 2p a pint equivalent in business rates. Interesting point, isn't it? He always says that, that stuff, though. Uh, now, this was really interesting. J.D. Weatherspoon generates far more in taxes than in profit. Over the last 10 years, J.D.W. has collected in £6 billion in tax, all the different taxes for the government, which are shown in a table. Fascinating. Which is 39% of sales. Uh, and over that 10-year period... Um, compared with the six billion in tax it's raised, it's only made profit after tax of two hundred and thirty-seven million for the whole ten years, and it really shows you, you know, <coughs> when you look back in another table that goes right back to the early nineties, you can really see how pubs, the business model for pubs, has really just gone down the pan. In the nineties, pubs groups used to make a fifteen percent um, profit margin. Now they're lucky if they make 2 or 3%. It's just a broken business model, I think, for, for pubs. So I don't think I'd particularly want to own any of them. Um, boards, he rants about the uh, regulations on construction of boards, saying that they have to rotate, whereas he'd rather have long-serving, knowledgeable people on the board. I think he's absolutely right. Um, and that they have four worker directors at J.D. Weatherspoon. He also points out the staff bonuses and free shares are 
over half of the profit after tax. So it's looking after its staff very well, as a result of which it has very long-standing pub managers and kitchen managers. Average average length of service is 14 years for one and 11 years for the other. Again, that's great proof that they look after their team. And finally, he provided a link to all the press corrections. And this is very interesting. The moment Tim Martin came out in support of Brexit a whole bunch of completely in- inaccurate press articles about Weatherspoons began to appear. And he provides an actual publication showing them all and how uh, Weatherspoons tackled all the press reports and got corrections and apologies on dozens and dozens of completely false reports. So I think that's very interesting. So anyway, have a read of the Weatherspoons report. Whether or not you agree with him, it's a fascinating read, I think. Sorry, I've rambled on too long. There isn't really any time for I've got pages and pages of, of sort of macro markets comments. But maybe I'll do a part two. I don't know. Yeah, I might do, actually. I'll see how I feel. All right, thanks for listening. Thanks for all your comments, which are brilliant. And uh, we really appreciate you all um, supporting us at Stockopedia. Without your support, we wouldn't be able to produce this material. So thank you. And I hope you're surviving all right. Remember, markets will get better. Um, there's a wall of money on the sidelines that at some point will come back into equities I don't know when um, <clears throat> and it's very, it's very tough at the moment so please don't get despondent <coughs> um, you know these, these, these tough conditions it's part and parcel of investing it's like this sometimes, that's just the way it is anyway, I hope you're bearing up alright and um, yeah, I'll speak to you uh, I'll speak to you again thanks for listening, bye, bye